I definitely have a bias towards action. I don't think it's bit me in the butt yet, but I think it potentially could at some point. There's so many people that you see that have been analyzing deals and thinking about getting into real estate for the whole time I've been in it, which let's say is since 2017, since I had that first true rental. I mean, it's been six, almost seven years of people I know analyzing, analyzing, analyzing and never acting. And the number of transactions that I have done and bought and sold and traded up in that time, it's really set us up really well. So definitely you need to act. Welcome to The Real Freedom Show, where we inspire you to pursue your passion to gain time and financial freedom through opportunities in real estate. I'm your host, Mike Swenson. Let's get some real freedom together. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Real Freedom, talking about real estate leveraged freedom, building time and financial freedom through different opportunities in real estate. And today we're going to talk about mostly short-term rentals. We've got Lauren Keen-Amond on here, and she specializes in short-term rentals in the Tampa area and up the west coast of Florida. Recently just quit her job and is now doing this as well as a few other things full-time. She is the host of the Adult in His Easy podcast, also have House Money podcast. And then we also talked offline about investing in a lot of stocks too, which isn't necessarily necessarily the norm for people that invest in real estate, but excited to hear more about your story. Welcome, Lauren, to the show. Thanks, Mike. I could not have described myself better. I'm a details guy, so I, I like to talk in detail. So yeah, Lauren, why don't you just share about your background, how you got into real estate and, and kind of what you're working on now? I got into real estate with my first real estate purchase, right? I mean, I, the first thing I did was bought a primary home. I did that right out of school the, the same year I graduated from the University of Florida in 2012. And I got a roommate, which made me like a landlord right away, which I didn't think of it that way at all. Um, but buying in 2012 was obviously a good time to buy. In retrospect, at the time, what I try to tell people is it seemed terrible. Like everything had just more than halved in value. And it was actually a scary time to buy. So that's how I bought. Naturally got some appreciation, was able to get rid of most of my mortgage payment at that young age. And at the same time, I got into sales I started in retail, then I went into accounting for a year, and then I got into sales. And so I increased my skill set, increased my W-2 income quite a bit. And so in my mid-20s, I was looking at a good amount of equity in my house. I was maxing out my 401k and my IRA, and I had a little money left over. And so I kind of circled back around and thought, all right, I did a pretty good job accidentally with my money, not paying a ton of attention to it. I wonder what I could do if I started thinking about it more. And so talk about why short-term rentals, how you got launched into that. Yeah. So at first I was thinking, okay, I'm going to do long-term rentals. Growing up, my parents had their primary home and one rental property. And actually that rental property, my mom bought at 24, right about the time she met my dad. And then my dad was like, that's cool. We're not getting any more ever again. So my parents had their primary home and the one rental. And so at first that was my goal. I bought another primary home when I was 27. And I rented the first one out that I had bought at 23. And I thought, check, I'm done. Golf course community, BMW, six-figure job, hot husband, well, boyfriend at the time, right? With also almost a six-figure job. I'm like, man, this is it. Like I have, I have arrived. And then I did a little bit of math and I was like, hmm, can't retire till 55. And we were doing well you know, mm -hmm. objectively. And so that's when I started thinking back to house hacking, which is when you buy a property, live in part of it, rent the rest of it out. So we're like, okay, cool. We're going to buy a house with an above garage apartment. We're going to long-term rent that. doesn't take too long in Florida though to realize I don't need to get a long-term tenant. People want to come here all the time for vacation. I'm going to do a vacation rental. And so that's the path that we went down. We ended up moving out of the golf course community 
to, you know, sometimes I still think about that place, but we bought a bed and breakfast. It was actually a commercial bed and breakfast at the time, moved into the house and then rent two accessory dwelling units out, which are, you know, little separate cottages in our backyard. We rent them on Airbnb and VRBO and directly and on a short-term basis. It was just a natural thing. It was already a bed and breakfast. It was already being used for vacationers. And so we just kind of continued that. We certainly made a ton of updates to the property Mm -hmm. and the property was only, I think, being booked directly. Directly. It did not, it wasn't on Airbnb and VRBO. So we we went ahead and did that. So that's how we got into short term rentals. And that was in 2020, which wasn't a great time to be in short term rentals because they were shut down, but we took the plunge anyways. So then you were, I, I mean, assuming managing it yourself because you weren't on AB, Airbnb and VRBO, there wasn't necessarily a ton to do in terms of marketing because people just knew of you and came back to you. Or how did you market? Oh, that? I was talking about the lady before us. We did immediately put it on. Oh, Airbnb you did. Got VRBO. It. Yeah. She mm-hmm. was just getting direct booking. So we knew there was an opportunity to increase revenue basically immediately by doing that. But yes, we we managed it ourselves. Um, we were renting our camper also on this property because there is there was already electrical and sewer for that because there had been a mobile home also here, which just sounds like you a had two property, ADUs and a camper <laughs> plus your house. On the yes, same. it sounds large. It's a very normal size, actually kind of small lot. So it mm-hmm. sounds large, but it's not. So we did rent the camper for a while. The camper has paid for itself twice. It's a little bit of extra work. So we've just decided, all right, good job, camper putting you out to pasture. It's just ours now. Um, but the two ADUs, you know, they they basically pay for the whole property, which is great. And we did that for about from January. 2021 is when we launched to June 2021. And that's when we bought a duplex. And we put one side of that duplex up as a short-term rental and put the other side up as a long-term rental, actually kept the tenants that were in there. And so once we expanded to that, that's when we really systematized. That's when I got a property management software. That's when we put in the locks that could set themselves using the lock software, got a bookkeeper, really engaged our accountants more and got QuickBooks and all of those things. So once we got to three, four short-term rentals is really when we systematized much more. And at that time, all of them in the Tampa area, or did you then start to move up the coast? Yeah, all those were those were all those Tampa. Were all Tampa. Uh, so that was, yeah. So we launched in January, 2021 with the ADUs and Camper, added the duplex in June of 2021. That's when we bought it. We didn't launch it till mm-hmm. September, 2021, which by the way, is about the worst time you can launch a short-term rental in Florida. And then we added a six-unit apartment building in December. 2021. And so that is when we started really, that was, that's up the coast. Mm -hmm. And we started with three short terminals, three long terminals there. One more tenant has since left. So now it's four and two, which brings us to a total. And now, now that duplex has completely flipped over to both short term rental as well. So that brings us to eight short term rentals. We bought another duplex in 2023. So yeah, that's all long-term. So we have eight short-term rentals and four long-term rentals right now. So for that six unit, how intentional was that to go to a commercial property? Location-wise, how intentional was it? Or you're just like, we're just finding something that's closer. I'm curious to know your decision-making. You know, I work with real estate agents full-time. Most of them are residential agents. And I just hear all these why they can't do something, why they can't do something, how they don't know enough when they're residential real estate agents. So for somebody that didn't work in real estate full-time, I'm curious to hear, like, how did you educate yourself? How did you make those decisions to move forward with making the leap and and getting a property like that? Well, early on in 2017, when I bought 
my second primary and rented my first primary out, that's when I decided I am like a landlord now. I'm going to mm-hmm. listen to podcasts. I'm going to read books. I'm going to understand numbers. And, you know, there were some other transactions kind of in the middle there that I skipped over before we got to 2020 with the short term rentals. But I have a finance degree. I sold business finance training for seven years. I had I took the whole graduate certificate in financial planning from Boston University, a little bit analytical mind, pretty decent with numbers, not as good as my engineering husband, but fine. And so we just we're we're good at analyzing deals and we have basically go or no go metrics and we were looking for small multifamilies. It was pretty early on that I realized it's better to have more units on one plot of land than one. I think mm-hmm. single family homes are great investments in terms of appreciation, but my goal was always to be able to leave my sales job if I didn't like it anymore or if something if I got a manager I didn't like or the company sold or I started to hate the product or whatever happened. I always wanted to have the opportunity to leave my job, which means you, you know, I can't pay my bills with appreciation. I needed cash flow. And so I decided small multifamilies very early on. And so we had bought the duplex on the water that I mentioned in the middle of 2021. And we were like, all right, let's repeat that. Let's find another, let's find another small multi. Mm -hmm. And it just happened that it was a six unit. Typical small multifamily, which is typically something that you can get like a conventional mortgage on is a duplex, triplex or quad. That's Mm -hmm. sort of what I had in mind. We just happened to find this six unit apartment building, which a lot of like the super professional folks, they want bigger than that. I mean, if you're going to go over four and you're going to need a commercial loan, they want to go way over four. They don't usually Mm -hmm. want six. And so, but we saw it. It's located in the same county as my grandma and my uncle. And my uncle's a handyman. And so I felt like we had a little extra layer of protection there with family being close by. Mm -hmm. And it didn't, it just didn't, we weren't put off by the fact that we were sort of looking for a duplex and it was a six unit. So we bought it for 585 plus a spare lot on the street for 120. So we sort of paid 705 for it. Mm-hmm. And we ten thirty we did a ten thirty one exchange of a of a duplex that I had into it and a seller financed at five percent with a seven year balloon. So mm-hmm. that was kind of a fun deal because we had the ten thirty one exchange and the seller financing all at once. <laughs> so, yes. but yeah, we just we just had our numbers and it was a home run. I mean that that deal. I mean it's support. I mean when other when other properties aren't doing well or when we bring new units online when we renovate anything, it all comes from that property. Basically, it really was a home run and we hit our numbers and we just acted, you know, as decisively as we could, knowing we had to sell a property to buy it. In that place, there's no restrictions or anything like that? Or do you have to have licensing or what's the guidelines there? In Florida, there's state licensing that you need. And then some municipalities require licensing as well. What's interesting about Florida is in 2011, they passed a law that said, whatever your short-term rental regulations are, is what they are. And so, yes, this county doesn't have any, which doesn't make them legal by default, but they also can't outlaw them. <laughs> so yeah. we just have, we have the state licensing there and that does um, require inspe- annual inspections and and things like that. Um, I'm trying to think, we had to put like a backflow preventer on our hose bib this year. That was like the one thing they made us do with our with our second um our mm-hmm. second inspection. But yeah, so we have the licensing through that. It's not, it's, I want to say it's like 200 and something dollars a year. It's not too bad. It's interesting to me because I, so I'm in Minnesota, you know, we have investors here in terms of landlord laws. We're certainly not the strictest, but we're, we're not the most lenient. And so somewhere in the middle and, you know, I hear a lot of investors talk about investor friendly states and, yeah. and so they name them all off and you've got to be there. 
And then I hear on the short-term rental side, like, oh, what's the next hot market? Like, are you going to be in Disneyland or not? And it's like, you can find a really awesome opportunity in a spot where not a lot of people would consider it doesn't have to be the hotbed and you can still have a really big success story without being the hot state. Now, Florida is one of the better investor-friendly states, but at the same time, the hot market, you're not in Disneyland and you're still making money on a short-term rental. And so it's just interesting to hear people's perspectives on things. I would never own near Disneyland. Like That's a terrible idea. Everybody goes there and they think, I want a free Disney vacation. So I'm going to buy a place so it's free when I come stay there. Mm -hmm. The competition is insane. The places are themed and beautiful and stacked with amenities and still too cheap. So just side note, that would not be what I would do. I think of short I think of short-term rental markets really in in four categories. One being national tourism hotspots, of which mm-hmm. national, maybe even international, right, is what I would think of Orlando. And then I think of more the regional tourism hotspots. And that's what I like. It's kind of like within two hours of a major airport. My 16 apartment building is two hours from Jacksonville, two hours from Orlando, two hours from Tampa. So we can get any of those people. But it's also going to be a lot of people that are driving. And I also have this hunch, we'll see if it comes true in a recession type environment, that people that can't afford to go to Orlando, maybe they'll still drive somewhere nearby and come to my to my areas. I think those those really expensive places will probably be hurting more. And then you can also have just like a metropolitan urban area, you know, something like maybe Nashville, though you consider that tourism or something in the Chicago area, places where people aren't just going for tourism. They're going for business travel. They're going to visit family and things like that. And then if you think of the fourth, it would be sort of miscellaneous or or rural. Just you're in an area where sometimes people come Maybe it's cheap, um, but you buy a place and and you rent it out. And I'm I'm a fan of the kind of the regional places where people can literally drive to. And I think that goes back to for people looking for places to invest is you also don't have to overthink it. And you use the decision where it's like, hey, I have family there. If something came up, you've got some eyes on the ground that can you know help figure things out. You don't have to overthink it. And I see so many investors that think like I have to pick the perfect place or I'm not going to do anything. And it's about just getting started and doing something. And then you can maybe get a little bit more strategic. You can get a little bit better, but it's okay. You're going to learn so much by doing it versus deciding, oh, I can't find that perfect place. So I'm just going to do nothing and sit on my hands. I definitely have a bias towards action. I don't think it's bit me in the butt yet, but I think it potentially could at some point. There's so many people that you see that have been analyzing deals and thinking about getting into real estate for the whole time I've been in it, which let's say since 2017, since I had that first true rental. I mean, it's been six, almost seven years of people I know analyzing, analyzing, analyzing and never acting. And the number of transactions that I have done and bought and sold and traded up in that time, it's really set us up really well. So definitely you need to act. Um, Nowadays, like I could easily, my uncle's not a huge part of our business. I've built a ton of relationships in that area. If he said, Lauren, getting too old for this, I'd be like, okay, no problem, Uncle Lee. You can you're you're out. I got I got this. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I wouldn't necessarily now knowing what I know and having, I mean at the time I had maybe 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 had 100 stays. Probably not. Probably like 50 guest stays at that point. Now two years later I have almost 600. <laughs> so the amount of experience that I have now versus then, mm-hmm. um, it's invaluable. And you don't get that if you wait. The mm-hmm. only way that you can really get in you know, to get these learning lessons is to actually get in. I will say I'm not a fan of like just buy whatever. And if you lose money, consider it learning. 
um, your, your deal should at least pencil. Like, let me put it that way. Strategic moves. So in terms of managing then, what would you say for people that maybe haven't done property management before and they think, oh, I've got to hire a property manager for short-term rentals. How would you help them make a decision on whether they do it themselves, hire somebody, some sort of hybrid model? What's your experience been with that? Well, you should definitely analyze your deals, assuming you're going to have property management, assume that you have that expense so that you can do it. I sort of think, why not try it? yourself first. And if you don't like it or you're bad at it, then turn it over, you know, sort of get your feet wet under you. But you need to be a very organized person to be able to manage short terminals. Long terminals, I think there's a lot of leeway there. You can kind of get by. You basically, if you don't hear from somebody, it's like on the on the third when rent's late or fifth or whatever, you can look and see if people deposit everything. If not, you give them a call. And then maybe once a month, one of your tenants calls you and they have a maintenance issue and then you set that up. It's very reactive, almost short terminal. You really need to be thinking about it as a business and thinking about your business every single day. You need standard operating procedures. Um, for example, if a hurricane is coming towards Florida, I need to know what I'm going to do. I need to be proactively reaching out to all of these guests and we need to have a plan in place. I need to have very detailed communications to guests about checking in and where to park and what the Wi-Fi is. So I am eliminating some communications that are coming at me. I need to have very good, very accurate listings that really depict both the good and the bad of every property. So nobody is surprised when they get there. And you need to be thinking about your business and at least doing something in that business every single day. So you know, if you're the kind of person that that can be organized and can be proactive, is a little bit type A, is a little bit of a control freak, is a little bit of nobody can do it as good as me, then I think those are the kind of people that should manage short-term rentals themselves. But you do need to be able to manage people also. Like you mm-hmm. have to have obviously good community, good um customer service skills with the guests, but you also need to be able to manage your cleaners, especially landscapers, you know, hot tub people snow removal people, I assume. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, we do, pest, do that. Yep. pest control. Yeah, I don't, but like pest control, you know, you need to have all of these people and you need to also be a good manager and a good leader of them. But I sort of feel like start by managing it yourself and then pivot away if you need to. You mentioned about highlighting the good and the bad about the property so people have a realistic expectation. Talk about that maybe on the bad side, because I know as a real estate agent, we hire professional photographers to make the property look as good as possible. And there's a lot of times we go into a property and we're like, ooh, it doesn't look as good as the pictures. Now, for us, that's a little bit of a win because we get people in the door. But in terms of short-term rentals, you don't want people to be disappointed when they walk in because you do have great professional photos, which is one thing you should have. So talk about painting that realistic picture to create realistic expectations. Yeah. And you guys will be out there virtually staging stuff too and really pulling bait and switches on people sometimes. No, I'm just kidding. But um, I, if a unit is upstairs, I want people to know. A lot of people mm-hmm. come to Florida, they're older, their knees aren't great, what have you. They need to know if a unit is upstairs. Um, they need to know about, you know, parking, Wi-Fi, whether there's a grill or not, whether there's I have a couple of places that have no in-unit laundry. It's because they're really small and I legitimately kind of don't know where I'd put a washer dryer on that property, but I want to make sure that it's very upfront that we don't have laundry. I want people to know we don't have Keurigs. You're getting Mr. Coffee. You're getting drip coffee. I do provide the coffee, right? You just, you don't want anybody walking and being like, oh, this is not what I thought it would be. You want them to walk in and be like, this is exactly what I thought. I have one unit that has has two bedrooms, but both bedrooms are upstairs. I need people to know that there's a bathroom downstairs, but not a bedroom. I had somebody book and they didn't realize that. And then they had to sleep on the couch. I'm like, okay, well, I'm sorry. It says it in there, you know? 
know. So those are just some of the examples of things that I want people to know. Because obviously that dictates the reviews, which really drives your business. And you don't want people to be disappointed, or I wouldn't even say disappointed, but missed expectations. And then that leads them to maybe leave a, a negative review. So talk about kind of that reviews process, making sure that people leave with a good experience, hopefully get that good review to drive future business. A lot of it is really related to the property. I mean, a little bit of it is is who you are as a host and the listing and the guest communications. But some of it, like my 16 apartment building, it's just a really good looking property. I mean, it's remodeled nicely. It's decorated nicely, if I do say so myself. It's just beautiful. And it's a really good price. And people, there is a category of reviews that is value. But I think no matter what you do, that value is going to seep into the overall review as well. And that property... It just gets good reviews all the time, every time. A couple of my other properties, even though they're good budget-friendly things, are just objectively the buildings and the units are not as nice and they don't get as nice of reviews. But that said, that means I sometimes get fours, right? Like you basically get fives and fours and, and that's really all you should be getting. If you're if you're getting anything outside of that, you need to fix what the problem is. If it's you, if it's your listings, if it's the furniture, I mean, even if it's the location, sell it. <laughs> like, you know, there's only there's only so much you could you can really do for location, obviously. But yeah, the reviews are the lifeblood of your business. But in my personal portfolio, it's like my nicest units get the nicest reviews. What are you thinking about in terms of the future now? You've you've grown quite a bit over these last two, three, four years. Do you want to continue to just add more units? Do you want to hold pat with where you're at, explore other locations? The immediate goal was to leave my job which I was able to do. The next goal is for my husband to leave his job. He is an owner of his engineering firm. So that makes things a little more difficult. It would be basically Mm -hmm. when when the firm changes hands or he gets bought out. Um, But that is the next goal. And we probably more so than adding would maybe rebalance a little bit. Maybe we'd sell some properties that have really built up some equity over the last few years try mm-hmm. to trade up, get into bigger, bigger buildings, probably like, let's say, for example, I wanted to sell, I have a duplex that has about $300,000 worth of equity. And let's say I'll, I maybe I'll trade that up for a bigger apartment building, maybe a long-term rental, and maybe even get property management for something, depending on the size of it. And pro- maybe not in Florida, so I don't have to deal with the insurance issues we're, we're dealing with here and get some diversification in the portfolio that way. But in the immediate future, like for the next year or so, it's get back to stabilization. We added another property this year. We flipped another unit this year and, and that, you know, required a remodel. So, you know, get back to stabilization, get through season. I'm about to be pretty busy uh, January through May and then a little bit in, in June and July as well. So, get back to you know immediately stabilize and then potentially longer term rebalance a little bit and maybe diversify out of state, but I'm not sure. Real estate agents, are you tired of letting the busyness of life get in your way from achieving your real estate investing goals? I'm super excited to announce we've created the Real Freedom Investor Agent Tribe. It's a place for you to come get educated and network with others so that you can make sure that you're hitting your real estate investment goals. So find out more on our website, realfreedom.com click on the store link. We've got a membership. We've got a mastermind group and some private coaching as well. Check it out. I've priced it super low. The goal is to get you in, not have price be a determining factor to keep you from your goals. So come check it out, schedule a call with me, and we're happy to see where your real estate journey is going to take you. Talk a little bit real quick just about the adulting is easy and house money, what you're doing outside of the short-term rentals. Adulting is easy started as a way for me to tell my sister about personal finance. She's 
13 years younger than me. So I was a teenager when she was born. And now it's me interviewing experts in the personal finance space. So the Adulting is Easy podcast has been around since October 2019. So just celebrated four years. And that's just going strong also on Twitter at Adulting is Easy, Instagram and YouTube. House Money is a partnership with my friend and now business partner, Alan. And he and I sort of realized that all the content creators are basically reinventing the wheel and doing everything themselves. And we were like, let's join forces. And so I manage the House Money podcast there. There's also interviews, but they're shorter. And rather than being personal finance experts, they're people involved in real estate and not just real estate investors. We interview a lot of um, people that are in the real estate space and, and kind of on real estate teams, if you will. So interior designer, lender, plumber, roofer, people like that. And then we also discuss blogs and other real estate topics there. So I handle the, the podcast. Alan handles the newsletter. He's also written a few books. And then we have a long-term rental course and a short-term rental course as well. So that's something that was launched just in May. Um, so obviously your listeners like podcasts, if they want to listen to interview type stuff, uh, general personal finance, they can definitely do adulting is easy. But if you really want to deep dive into real estate, then the House Money podcast is the way to go. It's cool to see people that, you know, building their own path and being able to leave a job and, and kind of design what you want to do and have real estate be part of the reason why you can stand on that leg by having that income coming in. So congrats to you and what you're doing. Anything more? I know you mentioned a couple handles and everything, but anything more in terms of how people can, can find you? Yeah, sure. Um, housemoneymedia.com. You can, sign, you can read the blog, sign up for the newsletter, check out our courses, contact us. That's really the main website. Awesome. Thank you, Lauren, for coming on and sharing your story and best of luck to you in the future. 